I want to look at probably, I would say, the most famous psalm in the Bible and possibly one of the most famous passages in the whole of the Bible, um, Psalm 23, which you'll know from funerals probably because that's often where it's shared. But I want to put it like this. This isn't a psalm for... Uh, just the dead, if you like, in the moment of a funeral, but it's a psalm for the living. It's a psalm right for now. It's a psalm for us in this moment. So I'm going to read it to us. Um, Beautiful words, famous words that even if you've not heard the whole psalm, you'd have heard parts of it, I'm absolutely certain. This is what it says. The psalmist David says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Who knows that psalm? Or who's like heard that psalm before? Like it would be most of us, right? Because it's so famous. Um, but actually, I want to put to us that this is one of those psalms that we think is all about us. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is this to me. He leads me beside still waters. But actually, it's not really about us. But the psalm is about the God that we worship, and then how that then, as a result of who God is, makes us kind of feel makes us going into it. It's a perfect psalm for a time of change, really. It's a perfect psalm for, you know, you've been away on your summer holidays and you think, cool, back into the routine. Psalm 23 is the place to be because it's just a psalm of reassurance of who God is. And if we know who God is, then we know who we are and we can be at peace, can't we? So the psalm isn't about us, but it's about God. And I know some of us will find that hard to deal with because we always want to be the center, don't we? We like not deliberately, but we like naturally kind of all go that way, that the world should revolve around us. Whereas this whole psalm is revolving around God. Because yes, you go to quiet waters in this psalm, beautiful. You go to green pastures, but the green pastures and the quiet waters pass and the valley of the shadow of death is there. But that passes too. Like the only constant in this psalm is God himself. Not the circumstance, not the moment we're in, but who God is, is the only constant. And actually, we are here, as human beings, we're created primarily to glorify God. That's what we're here for, to worship him. That's, our, that's like the ultimate calling. If you want to know what to give your life to, bring glory to God. Honor him in all your ways. You know, when you've got the New Testament, it says, even when you have a cup of water, do it to the glory of God. You're like, how do you do that? Like, do you have to like pour it and say... That's for you, God. That's for you, God. Like, I don't think it's like a literal thing like that, but everything you do, you can glorify God with. We can be thankful to him in everything for all that he's done for us. And that's what this psalm is, because God has done no end of good towards us. And what I'm going to do is, it might be a bit old school, I suppose, but I'm just going to hit it verse by verse, because there's only six verses, so we're not going to be here all day. You'll be pleased. It's not, it's not Psalm 119. That's the longest like, passage in the Bible. Can you imagine doing that verse by verse? Just six verses. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Beautiful words you'd have heard lots of times. And of course, Jesus himself in John 10 describes himself as the good 
shepherd. John 10, 11 uh, says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And I've, I've always kind of taken to doing this, but it's a, ni- a nice little, like, neat thing you can do with this psalm. Is if you're a follower of Jesus here, and Jesus is the good shepherd, you know in Psalm 23 when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, just between Lord and his, throw in Jesus. The Lord Jesus is my, my shepherd. It just, like, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, yeah. That's what he says in the New Testament. Jesus is my shepherd. And that might seem like weird language for us if we're not used to it. So literally we're thinking, we're the sheep, Jesus is the shepherd. What's a shepherd? Guide, mentor, protector, all those things. That's who Jesus is to us. That's who God is to us. That's what the the psalmist is saying. God is my protector. God is my guide. God is my deliverer. God is my everything. Because then he goes on to say, I shall not want So the logic is this, I've got God, therefore I'm not in any need. How often do we go, oh, I've got this, I've just got a new car, and it's great. But do we then go, I shall not want? No, often we go, ooh, but what car can I get next? Because this one no longer is good enough. Or I want this job, and then you get into the job and you're like, I need a promotion right now. Like, Not very often do we say, I've got this and I shall not want. But that's precisely what David says here is, I've got God, he's my shepherd. I lack no good thing, it says in other translations. If I've got God, if he's my everything, I don't lack things. I don't need to spend my days worrying about life, death, stuff. Because if God is my shepherd, he's got it. That's what the first line is. And and so often it's just a throwaway line, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But it's basically saying, God's got everything. By saying that, we're saying God's in control of everything. He's the boss of my life. I don't need to worry about anything. I can trust in him. And God works out the detail. Have you ever found that? I found that in my walk with Jesus. I can have these big things going on. And I can think, well, how am I going to do that, God? It all seems too big for me. And yet you come to a point where you go, okay, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to step out in faith. And the I don't know, I'm going to trust you. And time and again, God works out the detail. Have you ever had that? we just like, I don't get how that works. And God just goes, well, I'll do that and I'll do that. Because some things, I think I was saying this and I've said this plenty of times. I think sometimes we shoulder things, whether it's worry, whether it's anxiety, whether it's fear. The things that we just weren't meant to carry. Things that we're not built to carry even. And we're meant to give it to God. We're meant to say, not that he, you know, not in a, haha, you've got it now, Lord. Get in. But in a, actually, there is someone who can carry this for me. There is someone who can protect me. There is someone who can guide me and wants to. Do we know that, right? Everyone here, God wants to be your shepherd. He wants that. He wants to lead you. He wants you to be part of his family. And, it's, and the result of the I not want is, look, I'll be supplied with whatever I need. We need to believe that today, that whatever you need, God will supply for you. That's what that first line means. And if that means that your desires aren't met then you must conclude that either your desires are not what God wants for you or the time is not right. And the time will come where something might come into fruition. Either it's not right for us or not good for us even, because sometimes things that we want aren't necessarily good for us, are they? We think they are, but they're not necessarily good for us. And yet Jesus says here, well, David says, but he's talking about the good shepherd and Jesus calls himself the shepherd that God's got it. 
And we have to give those kind of things to Jesus. And then you see, verse 2, the natural progression is, because God's got it, he leads me and makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. For the first time in my life, this occurred to me when I read Psalm 23. Have you seen this here? It says, he makes me lie down. Have you seen that? That's a bit weird, isn't it? It doesn't say, I li- he, you know, I lie down. He, he provides the opportunity for me to lie down and you know, have a rest and look at the sky, whatever. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I read that and I go, God knows best. God knows better than I do. Sometimes the simple things are the things we forget, don't we? In the heat of battle, in the midst of change, at the start of September, and we go, oh yeah, that's right, God knows better than I do. I've got to trust in him. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but you know what? God does. So therefore... I'll trust him. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We all think we've got it all sorted, don't we? But actually, we don't. And I was thinking about, I was reading, it was a bit boring, actually, because I was reading about shepherds. And I'm not really into, like, I like the idea of a small holding. Anybody like the idea of that? Like, grow my own veg, have a couple of animals knocking about, then eat the animals. That kind of thing. Like, I'm up for that. But... I'm not kind of, I didn't really want a 101 on the art of shepherding, which is, you know, if you start Googling things, that's where you end up. But apparently, so Google tells me, you know, a sheep, and I've seen lots of sheep in my time, and they're a bit scatty, and they're all about the place. But actually, for them to be at peace, for them to lie down, for them to be at rest, they need to be in a place where they feel peaceful. They need to be a place where they're not being hunted down by some, you know, if a wolf's in the field, they're not going to be sat down chilling out, are they? They're, not, they're going to be on edge. Whereas actually what David's conveying here is, the Lord's my shepherd and he provides places for me to rest. Now it doesn't mean like, you know, having like taking off foot off the gas and doing nothing kind of rest. But rest as in resting in his presence. God provides the opportunity for me to spend time with him and he makes me do it. In other words, God knows we need to have that. And again, you've got leads me by still waters. Again, I said a few weeks ago, I'm not much of a walker. I'm not much of a walker by still waters. Although I know this, it is relaxing when I finally get there. Right? It is a relaxing thing to do to go on walks. But actually, if I'm just walking along kind of um, a river, a place of refreshment, it's not the kind of activity so much that's going to clear my head and, and sort that out. Oh, I know that's quite a popular thing to be doing now, you know, go and clear your head and do all this kind of stuff. Fine. But actually, it's that who am I kind of resting with? Who am I on this journey with? So when I'm with the quiet waters, oh, I can be by myself by the quiet waters. That's okay. But actually, better that I, in those moments of rest, I rest in God. That's always going to trump just resting for the sake of resting. The whole purpose of our rest is that we rest in who he is. It's more important that we're with him in those moments than not apart. And that's what the psalmist is saying is, God's your shepherd, he's your protector, he's your deliverer, but he also wants to be with you. We know that, right? And that's something that we miss a lot of the time is, God wants to know us. He wants to know you. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to enjoy being with him. Knowing God should be the most enjoyable thing we do in all the earth. But often it's not, is it? Often it's like something else takes precedent. But knowing God and resting in his presence should be the best thing. And to do that, we have to rest with him. 
Because sometimes in our walk with God, and this can look like my walk with God sometimes, and it can look like it on a Sunday, so I can only apologize, is you run around like a headless chicken. And you're like, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to serve. And I can remember a few years ago, we had the, uh, our very first RK quiz. And we had it at St. Thomas Center, um, which we've outgrown now, but we had it there. And I had like arranged for the fish and chip delivery from what was a good fish and chip shop, and it's now been taken over, and it's not as good. Um, but we won't go into any names because that would be slander. Um, but it's a fish and chip shop. And uh, I had to go and get all the fish and chips and everything. And my head was so focused and like thinking about the food, thinking about the tartar sauce, thinking about all the fish, all the chips, all the ketchup, that I just ran around like a headless chicken. And I don't think I actually participated in the quiz. And on reflection, I was thinking, well, what is the quiz about? Well, it's not about me running around like a headless chicken. It's about being with people. It's about enjoying an evening. It's about being at a quiz. And actually, all I had to show for it, and I promise you this, for weeks, my car just stunk of fish and chips. I had the lasting smell of like dirty fish in my car for weeks. And I'd missed the point at a quiz because I was running around like a headless chicken. And sometimes we can do that with God. We're so busy with life that we miss the point of resting with him. We just miss him. A whole day can go by and we think, have I even, have I, have I, have I spoken to God today? What, have I, what's been going on? And then a week can pass and a month can pass and all of a sudden we're not in the place we need to be with God because we've just been focusing on sometimes good things like the quiz. It was a good thing and the fish and chips were good, but it, that wasn't the be all and end all, was it? It was about being together and we can do that really easily. Our walk with God isn't about attendance at stuff isn't about religion. It's about a relationship with God. That's what you're investing into. That's what it's about. It's about you knowing him better than you did before, loving him more, and sharing that with the world. And we don't do too well at sharing it with the world if we don't know the person we're sharing. We can't do it effectively. And so the psalmist is like, take your rest in God. And when you take your rest in God, verse 3, he restores your soul. My soul needs restoring, I tell you. (laughs) My soul needs perking up. My soul needs God to like come in and take out all the rubbish and all the stuff and just replace it with his goodness and his grace and his peace. I'm sure that's true for you, right? It is for me. Time spent with God revives your soul. It feeds you. You live off it. Just as we feed this, don't we? Right? That's my tummy, by the way. We feed that. We've, we've started, haven't we, as a society, a little bit, to start thinking about what we put in. A little bit. I know we all like a Mackey D's, but like we, we've started to think about, maybe all these carbonated drinks aren't good for me. Maybe lots of coffee isn't good for me. Maybe all these things aren't that healthy for me. And just as in we, we take care, or at least we should take care of our body here, how do we take care of our soul? By spending time with God. And our soul actually is more important than this. This is going to pass away and be destroyed and not be here. But actually, my relationship with God is eternal. It's a far more worth than what I look like. But we take so much care of this, and we should take care of this. But actually, here it's saying, no, God restores our soul and leads us in the right path. When it talks about righteousness, it's a long word, but it means going God's way. It means being right with God. God will lead you in the path that means it will, it will help you to follow after him. 
paths of righteousness, paths of uh, honoring the Lord, paths of following after him, and he will restore us as he did that. And David knew what it meant to be restored, didn't he? David the psalmist, who is a man after God's own heart, remember, committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is like a far out story, isn't it? Got her pregnant and then thought, oh, I need to cover this up. So got a husband on the front row of battle, got a husband murdered so that then he could marry her so that then he could have a child. Like this is a guy who's like, he's not made the best decisions every, you know, every single day, has he? He's made some pretty foul decisions, and that's just one part of his life. He does make other bad choices too at different times. And yet, he's a man after God's own heart. How? Because God restores him. How? Because God's gracious. And you know what that tells me? That means it's good news for you and good news for me. Because we mess up like David, don't we? But we can come back to God. I love the prodigal son. I love the story of the prodigal son because the father is running out to the son. The father has been, has been waiting for his son to come home. And he, his arms are open wide to say, come home. That's exactly what it is for us as human beings. God is saying, I want you to come home. And when you turn around, you say, okay, God, you're right. He's not going to reject us. Sometimes I think we fear rejection, don't we, from God. We fear like he's going to turn our back on us. God wouldn't love me. I tell you, if God saw all the things I've been up to, he wouldn't want me. It's not true. He wants you. That's why he sent his son for you. He restores your soul. He wants you to be part of his family. And David is the perfect example of that. God didn't reject him, but God brought him on a better path. And then, the, I think the most famous verse of the lot in this psalm, verse 4. And I want you to see this. The psalm changes. It's tense completely. It changes the, the way it's, it's put together. If you've got a Bible in front of you, he's been saying... The Lord is my shepherd. He does this. He does that. Almost a bit distant. Like, you know, God, he. He does these things for me. And then, bam, verse 4 says this. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. All of a sudden, it's become super personal. All of a sudden, it's become super real. For David, as he's saying this, Lord, even though I walk through the darkest valley... You are with me. You comfort me. And there's a few things here. Many people think that this verse, verse 4, is an analogy about death. Um, and that might be true. I'm, I'm, if you want to go down that line, that's okay. But I want to put to you that it could be something else as well in the context of the psalm. As David's talking, that he knows of a place. That perhaps there's a place in Judah. There's a place that he knows about where there will be valleys. And lurking in the shadows, there will be real bad guys. Lurking in the shadows, there will be wild beasts. Lurking in the shadows, there is the unknown. And David knows, even though I go through those places, even though I have to pass through that place, I know you're with me. I know you'll go with me. Because you were with me in the quiet waters. You were with me in the green pasture moments. You were with me in the mountaintop experience, God. So you're not going to get rid of me when I'm in a bad place. You're not going to just abandon me when life gets difficult and I'm up against it. No, you are with me. In those places. And a part of me thinks here, like there's a fearlessness from David here, isn't there? A fearlessness. A fearlessness from David here, isn't there? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. You are with me. And a part of me kind of views it as this as like David going, Valley of Shadow of Death, is that the best you've got? Have you seen my shepherd? 
I'd love to, like, if, if, it was, if this is a genuine place and David was passing through it and he's saying, so right, I've, got, I've got my boy Jesus with me. I've got my shepherd who's watching over me, who's, who's going before me. I'd love to see literally Jesus kicking butt. A part of me thinks here David is going, come on then, what have you got? World, what have you got? Satan, the enemy, what have you got? Because I've got Jesus. And he's going to conquer you. He's going to defeat you. You haven't got a chance against Jesus Christ. Look at the name. The greatest enemy is death, isn't it? That's the greatest enemy we face in one sense. Death and in society we think about death. But Jesus has, what, what's he done to that? He's kicked it into touch. He's, de- he's defeated death. And I want you to see this. Look at the name of the valley. Look at the name of the valley. What is the name of this valley? The Valley of the Shadow of Death. It's not called the Valley of Death. It's not Death Valley. It's not in America. It's the Valley of the Shadow of Death. What does that tell you? I thought it was really interesting as I was thinking about this. I'm thinking about, it's not called, why is it not called the Valley of Death? That's what I'd call it because it sounds cool. It sounds more aggressive. It sounds more angry. It's not. It's called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. It's just a shadow. It's not death itself, but the shadow that it casts, the darkness, the unknown, the fear, the I don't know, when our faith is put on the line. That's what he's talking about here. The darkness. The unknown is a shadow, isn't it? We can't see. We don't understand. We can't see through it. But Psalm 139 says the darkness is not dark to God. So it might be a shadow to us, but it doesn't mean it's a shadow to God. And I want to ask you this question. What happens to shadows when the light shines? What happens to them? They're gone. The light overcomes the darkness. You've got John chapter 1, where the word was God, and he he came, and it's Jesus. And it says something like, no, he's going to overcome the darkness. The darkness doesn't understand it. Here is Jesus. Here is the light of the world. What happens to the shadow when the light shines? Death casts its shadow, but for those that follow Jesus, that's all it is. It's a shadow. It's not permanent. It's not the end of the story. And David knows this. Have you seen what else he says here? He says, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't say, even if I stop and picnic in the valley of the shadow of death. He says, even though I walk through, which means what? He passes through it. It's not forever. It's not the rest of his story. There is another side. Beyond the shadow of the I don't know. Beyond the shadow of death even. Even though I walk through the valley, there is another side. And we walk through it and he says, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Again, symbolic of the protection. Symbolic of the guidance that God offers you. And I say this. Go through the valley of the shadow of death. Go into the unknown, but go with Jesus. I wouldn't want to go without him. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal saviour, then now is the time to get right with him. Because I would not want to walk through the valley of the shadow of death without a protector, without a guide, without God going before me and saying, I've got it in the person of Jesus. And we've sung about it this morning, and that's what the cross is. When Jesus dies on the cross, he's taking all our rubbish, all our sin, all our shame, and saying, here's your second chance. Here's your new life. And we have to just turn around, repent, and put our faith in him. We do that, then Jesus is our God. 
Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus means he is with us even in the unknown, even in the mystery, even in the shadow, even in the change of September. He's with us. So to put to you guys, look, I would not want to walk through the valley of the shadow of death if I did not have Jesus by my side. And today is the best opportunity you can have to have Jesus as your, your captain, your leader, your shepherd. And maybe once you did follow him, but you know you've taken your eye off the ball, if you like. Well, today's the day to get back and get right with him. And as hard as this sounds, and I know this is hard, and we all experience difficult moments. In fact, some of us may well be in them right now. And we might think, oh, September, you know, August has been great, but I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm struggling. I'm anxious. I'm worried. As hard as this sounds, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is with you. God has got it. That's what this verse means. God's got it. He knows. He's with you. doesn't mean life will become easy necessarily, but you take Jesus with you. And I tell you, if I'm stepping into the darkness, I don't want to do that by myself. I want to do that, be on the front line, but with Jesus before me as our good shepherd. And when we do that, when we put our trust in him, he will restore your soul. He will lead us through to the other side, through the valley, through the difficulty, through the worry. Give it to God. Give it to heaven. Trust in him again with it. And then the imagery shifts for us. And you have this great imagery at the end of the psalm that almost says, hey, you follow Jesus all your life. You'll be in the quiet water sometimes. You'll be in the green pasture sometimes. Sometimes we'll have to pass through the valley of the shadow of death. But there will come a day when we've passed through it and there are great things ahead. Verse 5, the imagery shifts from a shepherd to the host of a party. And everyone loves a good party, don't they? Unless you're the host. Like... <laughs> You've got to clean up afterwards. But everyone loves going to a party. And here, God is our host. And he wants nothing more than to invite you to his table for us to be a part of it. And it'll be the best party we'll ever go to. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You might think, well, that's a bit of a weird verse. But I think it's almost, I, I read that and I think like it's a way of, tri of displaying triumph. We're going to have a party together. And yes, those guys might be there, but all they can do is watch on. They are utterly powerless. They can't take you from the party. They can't remove you from God's table. They can just smirk on. And that's what the enemy will do, he'll just smirk. And he'll just watch. And he'll try and pull us away. Yet God says here, I prepare a table before me. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. When God is boss, when God is your host, when God is your God, nothing can get you, not even the enemy. Not even the enemy. Nothing in all creation can get you because you have God. And uh, back in the day, um, hosts would receive guests and they'd anoint them with perfume and they'd fill their cup with the choicest wine. And David says here, my cup overflows. It's not even my cup is full. My cup overflows. I've got everything because I've got Jesus. You see the theme that develops here? I've got everything because I've got God. Change may come, but I've got everything because I've got Jesus. In the valley, I've got everything. I've got him. He's with me. In the quiet world, I've got everything because I'm with him. Here, my cup overflows. 
And then, just beautiful verses, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Who loves those verses? I love those verses. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Kind of our, some people that would speak a kind of health, wealth, prosperity version of the gospel would say here, this means that everything in your life is going to be perfect and go perfectly well. But like, that's not my reality, and I'm sure that's not your reality. Is it? Not everything, no. <laughs> no. It isn't. Life can be hard, right? Life's tough sometimes. So is David saying here that life will be perfect and beautiful in every single way? No. I want to shatter that illusion if that's what you think this verse is teaching, because it's not. It's teaching something far grander than that. Far grander than that. And here I want you to see, because for me, this could happen, right? And um, even today I was having a chat with someone and it happened to them uh, recently. You can be having a cracking day and then you get one phone call or one conversation, one moment, and you can be like, I'm so happy. All of a sudden, oh, life sucks. One moment can change everything, can't it? One phone call, one conversation. One backstab from some, whatever it might be, can be like, oh, you've just ruined my day. Not everything is rosy. Not everything is perfect. But it's better. The word here for follow, when it's saying, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, doesn't mean follow like kind of, you know, stalk behind in a weird way. But it's, it's conveying something far more passionate. It's conveying a pursuit. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me. They, they will not relent in pursuing after me from this day forward forever. It means to chase down, to pursue. All my days, God's goodness and mercy will pursue me. Because relative to all the ups and downs of life, and this is, this is what he means here, when he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Compared to the ups and downs of life, knowing God is infinitely better. So, it's, so he's saying, whatever I face, I could be having the worst day ever, but it's still true that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because I've got Jesus. That's what he means. I've still got hope because I've got a God who loves me. Despite what the world says, despite what my circumstances say, it's okay because I've got God. That's what the psalmist is saying here. So therefore, goodness, because God is good, mercy, because God is merciful, will follow me all the days of my life. There will not be a day that you are apart from it. Even on the day you feel so far from it, it is not a day that you are apart from the goodness and mercy of Jesus Christ. Because he makes that. There's promises in the Bible that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And it, and it just gets better, doesn't it? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever forever the future might seem really bleak right you know the environment oh my goodness you know ice cap levels and polar bears um and flooding or brexit people are like what's going to happen with brexit when that happens in march or whenever it is i don't know sometime i'm sure um world war three you know russia's doing some crazy things and things are going off it's pretty bleak isn't it Oh, I don't feel like goodness and mercy. And Well, this world might be bleak, but I tell you, 
Eternity with God will be anything but. It's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. One day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what do I take from that? Don't doubt today. Don't doubt the future. If God had you yesterday, he's got your future and he's got you today, hasn't he? And I can't wait for eternity. I can't wait to spend eternity with Jesus. It's going to be awesome. I did have a thought, though. If you're also a follower of Jesus, in a thousand years' time, just think about this. In a thousand years, you might still be looking at my face. (laughs) Buy me a mask. Beautiful. Thank you, mate. You know, I said words that just ruin your day. It's done. Thank you. We're going to be together worshipping God. It's going to be amazing. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And Psalm 23, I think the most famous psalm ever written, I think is a psalm all about Jesus. And a psalm that basically says Jesus needs to be your everything. And so this morning, we're going to come and we're going to take communion. And communion is your way of saying Jesus is my everything. It's your way of saying, I was here, but you know what? I want to be here. It's your way of ongoing commitment to following after God. You know, when you read the New Testament and it talks about the description of what communion is, it's saying, look, we partake in the cup, we partake in the bread. It's our way of saying, I belong to Jesus. I'm part of his family. I want to carry on walking with him. I want to know that even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. Not because I'm brave, not because I'm strong, not because I've got it, but because he's got it. Ultimate dependence upon our Savior. That's what Psalm 23 is going for.